Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of a podcast directed by. So this month, of course, uh, we have Andrew uh, from the website The Curb uh, to talk about actors turned directors. So last episode we had a lot of fun talking about two very good movies and Rachel Rachel and Ordinary People. And now um, we shift gears a little bit. Uh, we are looking at, uh, in a number of ways, uh, we're looking at two directors who were not only actors, but uh, had a romance together. Uh, so we have Angelica Houston and Jack Nicholson. Uh, so we're starting with Bastard out of Carolina. So Andrew, how much are you looking forward to the next hour to talking about these two movies? Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's... it's... <laughs> <laughs> it is it is and i i want to stress as well for listeners uh because you're listening to this at whatever time you're listening to this i'm currently recording this at 10 past two in the morning so this is how dedicated i am to be up at this time to talk about bastard out of carolina and the two jakes um yeah it's going to be interesting i am yeah yeah let's go let's go. <laughs> so i mean i think the most interesting thing to me is like this is what happens when you're like, okay, this is our theme, so let's pick some. And uh, I think I'm looking at our list, and I think I had only seen four of the ten movies uh, that we're talking about uh, this month. So you just you never know what you're going to get. So what I'm saying is don't blame me. Uh, I'm very sorry uh, for this episode, both to you and to any anyone fool enough to like keep up with these movies. Because uh, it gets a little, it gets a little I, dicey. In this episode. Yeah. I had seen seven out of the ten already. Hmm. And these two were two of the ones that I hadn't seen before. Oh, see? Um, Looks like there was good reason. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just a little bit. Just a little. And, um, yeah, it's... This is like... If we're going to touch off on Barset out of Carolina first... um, I guess, I mean, that's a media film to discuss. Like, it's not a bad film. Right. But there is a certain point in it. And I, I want to touch off, because I, I think that one of the most important things about this movie that I, I found out by um, uh, the most reliable place, which is the Wikipedia, um, about this film that I didn't read before I watched it. I read this afterwards, and I was like, I can understand why. In uh. 1997, the theatrical and video release of this film were banned by Canada's Maritime Film Classification Board. Uh, the video was eventually granted release upon appeal. But is after watching I mean, it, I'm there like, are yeah, parts I can that understand are, why it can be banned. <laughs> like, you know, for those, for those who, you know, have not seen Bastard Out of Carolina, uh, you know, there's a lot of plot points, but one of them um is about sexual abuse um so of a child um and a lot of times in movies that are about sexual abuse of a child there's a lot of fading to black right like something's about to happen and then we fade to black and we deal with what happens afterwards um i was not prepared for a movie in which it is pretty graphic i mean there are there's no fading to black at all no, there's essentially sex scenes with a grown-ass adult man and a child, played by Jenna Malone. And there's, like, there's bloody moments. I mean, it's a lot. It's It was something that, like, I knew kind of the bare-bones plot of this, so I knew there was going to be stuff like that in here. But I guess I was not prepared. And I think this was actually, like, a uh, like a miniseries or, like, a TV movie. So that's even more surprising that this was aired at all. Mm. Like, I could see it being, like, a theatrical release. Like, you have to go out of your way to see it. But this did, you know, for what it's worth, won an Emmy Award for uh, Outstanding Casting and was nominated for uh, Direction, uh, for Supporting Actress, um, and Outstanding Made for Television Movies. So it was, like, pretty well thought of, at least, you know, from the Emmy Awards perspective. But, man, this is, it was definitely a lot. Yeah. And and also screened uh Uncert Regard at um the at Cannes Film Festival as well. So mm. uh which I think is like the first um first filmmaker area or something like that. Um mm. but it's a you know, it's one of the, the prestige part of, parts of Cannes and it's like you know, after watching this I didn't I because I didn't read I I try when doing these kinds of things, I try and read little about what I'm going into so mm-hmm. I can go in not knowing anything and not having any preconceptions other than knowing that it's directed by Angelica Houston. So watching this, I didn't realize again, just like you, I was surprised that, you know, this was a TV movie in a lot of ways. Cause it felt, it's not 
presented as such. It feels like yeah. a theatrical film, and it's it is competently made, and it's really well directed, and you know the the performances are really superb. Um, yeah. specifically from uh, Jenna Malone and Jennifer Jason Lee. Um, Ron Eldard as well. Um, is you know quite terrifying in a lot of ways because right. you can see why he's um an alluring attractive partner who yep. manipulates a woman to love him and that's terrifying it's really terrifying but um yeah i just i don't know it's uh, it's a good film but it, I, I i find it really morally complex in a way that i don't want to interrogate um <laughs> Yeah. Because it's so it's so dark in a lot of ways. I if you want to go sidetrack for a second, have you heard of the movie Hound Dog? Yeah. Um, uh huh. Yeah, with uh, Dakota Fanning. Yep. In it. Um, and then now, the unfortunately, I, I have seen that film. That's a movie I avoided because I knew I'd heard about those scenes, uh, and it makes me wonder, mm. like, would I if I knew how dark this movie was going to be like would i have chosen it for this podcast probably not uh i tend to like <laughs> shy away from not only like child sexual abuse on film but especially when it's done in a way that is unflinching um and that can both be like a really good and a really bad thing like you know what's happening to this character is awful and sometimes we do a disservice by fading to black, it lets the audience off the hook. But this, like, I think maybe airs on the other side. Like, maybe goes a little bit too far in its depiction, where I'm like, I don't, well, know, yeah. eh, I don't like this. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to sit it's, through this. Especially the last one. Especially yes. the last God, one. Where, that's the other thing. It's almost you know, like an action movie, and the fact that it, like, builds. The abuse gets worse and worse and worse. And not in terms of worse what happens to her, because it's all terrible, but the amount that is shown... Like, you know what I mean when it sounds like an action movie where, like, action movies, like, the first action sequence will be kind of big and then the next one will be bigger and bigger and bigger until you get to the climax of the movie and then it's this gigantic spectacle. And that's kind of, like, how I felt with this where it's like we are just pushing the envelope more and more with each of these moments. Yeah. And what I what I kept on looking for was the moment where you could tell that there was a stunt double mm. as Jenna Malone's character. But the camera Ooh. is unflinching. It doesn't cut away. Yeah. And, you know, there is, in, especially in that last one where she's dragged up the house, Ugh. into the house, up the stairs, and in the room where this terrible event is occurring. And it's just like, there's just one, like, there's one long shot of all of this kind of stuff occurring. Yeah. And I rewound it because I was like, there are cuts there, but each moment, this, it, the girl in the scene is Jenna Malone and the stuff that happens to her, like she gets punched in the face. Her, her yeah. nose is bleeding. Her, she's got mouth, uh, blood coming out of her mouth. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's graphic. It, yeah. it is really graphic. Um, and I was just like this, it, it feels irresponsible, but I know that right. they would have like, the reason why I bring up Hound Dog is because that too, just like Bastard Out of Carolina, was directed by a woman. And mm -hmm. I, it's the scene in Hound Dog where it occurs, the sexual assault occurs. The reason why it's called Hound Dog is because it occurs with an Elvis song playing in the background. Right. And the and music is such a strong element of this film as well in the mm -hmm. sense that, you know, there are scenes where terrible things occur. The very first time that she's assaulted in the car, there's a song playing in the background. And it's like it it it's supposed to. I think that Angelica Houston presents it as a way of like, hey, these terrible things happen, and life just continues to go on. Sure, like nothing's wrong in the background. But the way that the music is presented in there, like we can use our minds to think that, but it's still a film. It's a manufactured thing, and it's the presence of jovial music in a really terrible scene doesn't work in the way that jovial music in a horror film might work where right. it's unsettling or disturbing. It just felt like this is okay. And right. to me at least, and even though I know I can see that it's disturbing and graphic, it just didn't work in that regard. And I felt that it worked uh, against the assault and, and the abuse. Um, 
and kind of trivialize it in some regards. I was, I felt that this, for a lot of the time of this film, I, I wondered what the purpose of it was. Um, yeah, yeah. It's interesting because there's a lot of things in this movie. One, um, <laughs> I just kept thinking about, like, you know, you you watching this and feeling like, uh, I don't know if this sh- should be happening with this young actress. And I do, like, I do get caught up in that in a movie like this, where it's like, imagine being Jenna Malone's parents uh, and agreeing to this. Uh, like, I just, I can't imagine. Like, not that these stories don't need to be told, but you're also putting this child actor in kind of a traumatic space, uh, and forcing them to, like, be one with this character. And that always rubs me the wrong way, especially when it feels like there are not a bunch of cuts and you could have, like, a double there. Like, it just, it feels a little too real for me and I'm not a big fan of that. Um, the other piece is, there's a lot of like mix of tone in this movie. Um, mm. so like, of course, the beginning, it's like, you know, there's a car accident. There's all this stuff going on. But like after that, like the next, I would say like 20 minutes are like borderline goofy, uh, with like kind of the voiceover and the story of how she became a bastard and all this stuff. And it's very silly. And then, you know, Ron Eldard is introduced and it's like kind of sultry and romantic. And then it, gets to be like weirdly abusive and then it becomes like full-on child sexual assault by the end of the movie and it's like there's so much going on and i think i think angelica houston does a fine job especially given that it is her first directorial effort uh this is in 1996 she only did like one other uh one other film and then a tv movie and a short so this was kind of it in a lot of ways um but i think I think that is a big challenge for new directors is when you have all these different tones and like making them into a well-crafted film with an arc that makes sense. And I don't think she quite gets there. Like, I don't think this is a bad movie by any stretch, but when you've got like some pretty over the top accents and you've got goofiness and trauma and romance, like there's so much going on that like, for me, like, you could pick out scenes and pieces where you're like, that's really good. But I'm not sure it ever makes sense in, like, an actual narrative sense. Like, it just kind of like, and then we're doing this now because that's what happened next in the book. Yeah, 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 definitely. I agree with that because it just felt, I mean, it, it becomes more coherent and under, and and see what they were trying to do in the last kind of half hour or so mm-hmm. where they were they were really painting the, the the picture of how terrible men can manipulate women and and um make them feel like that's all they ever have and there's a there's a really um devastating scene where um Jennifer Jason's Lee Jennifer Jason Lee's character um goes off and basically she gets money because uh her husband has not had a chance to he's been out of work and and you know the kids are eating crackers with tomato sauce on them and and it's like that's not a good diet at all for kids at all and it's not substantial enough so she goes out and gets some money and the way that he treats her it's like no you have to give that back and you know this is just i it's my responsibility to bring the money into the house and i can see the controlling aspect that they want to explore and discuss in this film. And that, that's interesting. But then as you're saying, it's, there's so many other things that it just feels like they're, they're checking off the parts that, that work in the book. And, you know, I gave this two goes because the first time I fell asleep and I fell asleep before the abuse stuff occurred. Mm-hmm. And so I was just kind of like lulled into this like jovial nature of it. And on a second viewing, watching it from beginning to end, I was like, nah, this is, um, this is not really a tonally consistent film. And it's also, I mean, it's got to be hard for somebody like Angelica Houston to come along and want to direct a film when your dad is one of the great directors, you know? No kidding. No pressure or anything. Like, you know, he's just John Houston. No big deal. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, how, how on earth? And I, and I find that actually really quite interesting that, you know, this is paired with two Jakes where, you know, Jack Nicholson is coming along and yes, Roman Polanski is a problematic director, but in the era where, um, you know, he's got Rosemary's Baby and Chinatown 
you know, these great films, these monumental, massive films. Mm -hmm. And then Jack Nicholson's coming along being like, yeah, I can, I can give that a stab. (laughs) And it's like, it's, it's hard to live up to a legacy like that. It's really hard. Yeah. Um, and to kind of step out of the, 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 the shadow of your, the person that you're working, uh, alongside, I guess, or, or under the, the guise of, um, yeah. and not to know, mention, just... not to mention as a female director in the mid nineties, like this. Yeah. Is, and it does make you wonder because she barely did any directorial work after this. And she certainly like at the very least shows directorial promise in this movie. Like she, oh yeah. You know, yeah. like we're we're picking some things apart, but she does overall a really good job with like really difficult subject matter, um, and manages to create a movie that is, you know, at you know at worst watchable and at best very very challenging, uh, in in some really great ways, uh, and yet didn't do much after this. And I wonder, you know, there's got to be a piece of that is because she's a woman, and the piece of that is also because you know when your first film you direct gets banned. You know, studios are probably not chomping at the bit to give you a big budget after this. And also, like, she had a really long career in acting before directing. Um, 1996, I mean, she's, you know, she had been around for quite a while at this point. So it does, like, I wish I could find some interviews with her about this movie. I'm sure they're out there. Um, Like, why this? Like, why would you, why would you start here? Like, it feels very much like a passion project. Like, I just really, really love this book and I want to bring it to the screen but like, man, this is a hell of a place to start. But I, I mean, having a look at her other films, I have seen Agnes Brown when it was out in way back when, um, which she acts in. And I recall it being just fine. Uh, it's not a problem. And then, um, uh, looking at what her third film is, which is called riding the bus with my sister. And boy, does this sound great. It's a TV movie. Um, about a woman who spends time with her de- developmental disabled sister after oh. the death of their father. Um, the sisters are played by Andy McDowell and Rosie O'Donnell. Uh, oh. No prizes for guessing who the developmental oh, sister is there. Um, <laughs> oh, God. So, <laughs> but the question is then is like, why are these stories? Right. Like you're Angelica Houston. Why this? And even if, I mean, I understand that Bassett out of Carolina is a book that is well loved by people and I get that. But again, why this? Why does it need Mm -hmm. to be translated to film? And I don't think that this particular adaptation, at least I've not read the book, but I don't think this ever stands up on two feet and says why it needs to exist. And the question that I had while I was watching it was very much like, you know, it felt a little bit poverty pornish in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, like I couldn't get out of the grips of like, you know, you've got Jennifer Jason Lee and Angelica Houston, these two big names who have come from massive legacies and stuff like that. And they're kind of, you know, tipping their toes in the poverty pool. And, mm-hmm. you know, it is interesting, but I'm always a little bit cautious when these kinds of stories are told where it's clear those the people who are doing this, the the storytelling have not come from that kind of life. That's not the life that they led. So, and, and, and I should add, like, I'm not saying that people have to have come from poverty to tell stories about poverty, but there needs to be a, a, a reason for it to exist other than feeling like, you know, you might win an award for this mm-hmm. and, might get some kind of recognition. And I didn't get that from the film other than, you know, putting a name on the map in some regards. And right. Yeah. It actually like, you know, something you mentioned kind of bring up a question that maybe we should have asked. I should have asked you like at the very beginning of these episodes, <laughs> but um, do you see, do you have like a dividing line for directors who like were actors and they're, they go clearly in a direction and they're not on screen and actors who like end up directing themselves in like their first feature. Like, do you see, do you see a difference between those two things? Yeah, I do in some regards, but also depends on the, on the, the product or the, the, the film that they're working on. You know, there's sometimes directors or actors turn directors, you know, do it for the strangest reasons. You know, they, mm-hmm. they just want to give directing a shot. I mean, you look at, 
I mean, this is a really poor example, but you look at William H. Macy's films as a director and you're like, why, why, why are you doing this stuff? Why are you doing that? What about this? Did you want to do it? But sometimes they just want to give it a shot. They just want to stand on the other side and be like, I want to see what this feels like. And and that is interesting. But then, you know, bring out the same name that I brought up last episode, which was Bradley Cooper. You know, you look at him, the triple threat and Mm -hmm. doing everything that he does on a star is born. And it's like, it's clear that, he had a vision and the only person who could deliver that vision was him. Right. right. And he needed to have his hands on all aspects of it. And Ben Affleck is a bit like that too. Certainly not with um, Gone Baby Gone, but, you know, in the town uh, and Argo, for example, it's clear that he's like, all right, well, I've got a hand on this now. I know what I can do. And Mm -hmm. I can deliver the, the, the material or the, the, um, the framework to deliver a performance that I've always wanted to deliver. Right. Um, so I do kind of, I do look at them differently and you do judge them differently because, you know, why, why did you have to stand in front of the camera for this? Right. Right. Why didn't you get somebody else? And that's the question I always ask. And then the same, the same question is, why did you stand behind the camera for this particular film? And and sometimes the film will tell you that reason. Um, certainly, I think that Rachel Rachel did, um, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't think that this does. I don't know why Angelica Houston did this. Yeah. I really don't. Yeah, it does. Like, yeah. like I said, I think it feels like a book that she read and loved and wanted to see it on screen and no one else was going for it. So she went for it. Uh, and she probably at this point had enough Hollywood cachet to at least get one movie made. Um, so she did. Um, I guess like the thing I want to wrap up here with, uh, before we get to our, the really good movie, uh, in this episode, um, <laughs> is the ending of this movie. Cause I feel like for this movie to truly work, you have to, you have to be rooting for that forgiveness. Cause like at the very end, her mother comes back. And, you know, gives her her birth certificate and it's, she's no longer the bastard out of Carolina. She's no longer illegitimate and she apologizes. Um, but then leaves to go rejoin her fucking horrible, abusive husband. Um, so, and then Bones, like she, she, you know, she cries about, you know, her mom sacrificing everything for her and now she has this freedom. So do you buy that moment? at the end or are you like me like fuck this lady like <laughs> great she gave well, you a new birth certificate but she's still you know like you were still sexually abused and she still is with this idiot so where are we at yeah yeah i mean there's a, there's a great moment which happens you know the, after that that big uh assault that we were talking about before where you know this bloody faced Jenna Malone is sitting in the passenger side of the car and Jennifer Jason Lee sitting in the driver's seat, massaging or rubbing the head of Ron Eldred's character who's bashing his head against the side of the car because he's done something wrong and has been caught by it. Uh-huh. And it's a really powerful shot. Like, that's a really powerful shot. But all I could think of is that I had wanted more moments between – Jennifer Jason Lee's Annie and Ron Eldred's Glenn, hmm. where there's love, there's right. tenderness. You know, I needed to know why she stuck with him, and that's yeah. why I don't. Un- I, I I didn't like the end at all because yeah, because yeah, you get yeah, that I in mean, the very beginning of their relationship, right when the courting happens. Yeah, but like after that point, you get nothing. It's like gone. after after yeah. the kid kind of accepts uh, him as dad before any of the awful shit goes down. After that, it's just, it's all drama and it's all abuse. You don't get any of the, like, why would you keep this fucking asshole around? Like, he's not even making any money, so it's not for that. <laughs> like, so give me something, yeah. something, anything yeah. to hold on to here. And and that's it. Like, I mean, her daughter's had her coccyx broken. She's mm-hmm. been, you know, raped. Um you know her her brother and all his friends have beaten up this guy in front of everybody. Yeah, and good to see Michael Rooker. End, she... That made me happy to see Michael Rooker as a. That was great. The young actor. Yeah, I was like, yeah, you yeah. get the shit out of that guy. This is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like I, I 
the very first Michael Rooker film I ever saw was Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. So oh, every time Jesus. that he's in a film that he's not a, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was young when I watched that. <laughs> Too young. <laughs> no wonder I'm the way I am. But when, every time I see him in a film where he's not a bad person, I'm like, Good on you. You broke yeah. away from that film. Like, That's people nice. still cast you and stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I, yeah, that ending, I just thought was, like, it, it didn't ma- – I, did, I didn't get it. Right. Like, I understood what they were doing and all this kind of stuff, but I just – the film doesn't do enough work to make me understand why she would go. Yeah. And leave yeah. her daughter alive. Yeah, and it doesn't do enough work uh, for you to believe that forgiveness. I think, like, I think, you know, of course, this is based on a book, so there's certain things I'm sure you would have difficulty changing, but it makes more sense in this movie for her to, like, take that uh, birth certificate and go, you know, thank you, but fuck you very much. I never want to see you again. Like, we're done. Because, like, you allowed this to happen. And I think that makes more sense from the character that we're shown on screen um, rather than, like, well, Mama did the best she could. And I'm like, what the fuck? No, she didn't. (laughs) She allowed you to get abused. And of course, like, you know, you don't want to blame people in bad situations, poverty stricken situations. He was also probably a pretty intimidating force in the wife's life. But still, at some point, like that forgiveness has to make sense. And I just don't think it ever comes together. No, no, it doesn't. Yeah. All right. So we are going to take a break. uh, And when we come back, Finally, we will talk about the great Jack Nicholson and the two jokes. All right, so we are back for the second half of our episode. Now we're talking about the great Jack Nicholson, and we're talking about the two jokes. So I want to get this out of the way uh, in terms of, like, my experience with this movie and these characters. I think, you know, as you mentioned, Rome Polanski, you called him uh, problematic. He's a piece of shit. He's terrible. Uh, yeah. He's a rapist. <laughs> He's awful. He should never make another movie again. He should never make another dollar off of his movies. That being said, I think Chinatown is one of the 10 best movies I've ever seen in my entire life. I think it's just about perfect. It works on every level for me. So that's my, that's what I'm going into this with. Um, and also I strangely, it's weird what you remember from your childhood. Like there were certain videotapes I remember my parents owning. And one of them, for whatever reason, was the two Jakes. Uh, I think just because my dad loved Chinatown. I don't think we actually had Chinatown on VHS, but he had the two Jakes, <laughs> which is very strange. Um, and like, I wish my dad hadn't died because I have questions about that that I will never get answered. But I remember like putting in the two Jakes when I was like, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old. And like within like 10 minutes, I was like, this is dumb. Uh, and 10 or 11 year old Dave was fucking right. Uh, cause this movie is fucking dumb at 40 and just as dumb at 40 as it is at 12. Um, we were talking about this kind of offline after we had both seen it. And to me, like, this is like, because I think so highly of Chinatown, like, this is borderline offensively bad. Uh, like, it's, it's bad on a lot of levels, but mostly it feels like really bad Chinatown cosplay. Um, because you have a lot of the same actors, of course, which is nice. Uh, but you also have someone who can't direct his way out of a fucking paper bag. Uh, and Jack Nicholson. And Jack Nicholson also is an actor here. Not great. It's like, it feels like the, one of the great things about Chinatown is that it is dramatic and has mildly comedic moments from Nicholson. Like it's, it's performed with a smirk, with a knowing smirk. And in this, it's like, it's almost silly. Like the way that he takes on this role again. And of course, when you wait I don't know, 16 years in between movies, it gets, it gets a little dicey already. Uh, but like, I really wanted to like this movie because I like Jack Nicholson. I like the Chinatown world. Um, I think, you know, it's written by the same screenwriter, uh, who does not have a great track record outside of Chinatown, but he's going back to the well here. He's going back to what made him great, what made him a name. And holy shit, this movie is bad. Like I was just like, <laughs> if I was not watching this for a podcast, I would have been tempted to turn it off. Like, it's legitimately that bad. Yeah, yeah. Two hours and 20 minutes this film is, you know? It's, uh, the it's a long movie. movie we've it's, watched um, so far. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Um, I mean, this is like a bit of a contentious thing. I don't, I don't love Chinatown. Um, I came to it late. That's fine. 
I am a monster. You have bad I am opinions a monster. all the time. This is one of the see. This is so funny yeah. for people listening because I texted <laughs> Andrew and I was like, "Do I remember right that you don't like Chinatown?" And you got real cagey. You were like, well, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I know this is going to come out on the episode, so please go ahead and uh, talk trash about one of the greatest movies ever produced uh, in the United States. Have a good time. In the United States, I like how you you encapsulate it, you know, within because the What I'm the saying film is that we America. are better than Australia, is what I'm telling you. <laughs> is... I, I just, like Chinatown, it's a good film, don't get me wrong, I just... When I watched it, and I've only ever seen it the once, and it was probably, I can't remember, but it wasn't that long ago. It was in the last decade. And I watched it, and I was like, that's a nice movie. And I've had no interest in going to see it again or watching it again. I just, and I wonder if, certainly for me, coming to it late in life, you know, forget it. Uh, was it, is uh, Jake? Jake, yeah, Jake. of course. Yes. Two fucking facts. <laughs> Oh, God. Yes, his name is Jake. It's said in the first line of the two Jakes. Oh, your name's Jake? I also go by Jake. Like, that's literally the opening scene of this movie. Well, yeah, because that's the most memorable thing associated with the character. I was going to say the, you know, forget a Jake, it's Chinatown kind of thing. But you know all of that. Like, that that line and stuff like that and and the narrative is so, I I don't know. To be fair, if you've seen I, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, like you've you've seen Chinatown, like <laughs> yeah, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a better film. Um, oh, but it's Jesus, like... <laughs> Andrew, stop it, you fucking infant! Come on, be better. But I, it is, it is. It's got cartoons and superheroes and stuff. Um, Ugh, gross. But I, don't bring that just... shit in here. That's not what this is about. <laughs> but I, I, I think my problem is I don't. I don't love mystery films all that much mm. or or like noir films. I enjoy them. I do. But the whole, like, I don't like the whole doing the thing to get to the thing to find out the thing kind of thing because it's not, sure. to me, it's not a very character-motivated element. Mm. Um, it's not, they're usually, you know, especially with the two Jakes, you're usually a dude that's been hired to find out this and – that's it. Right. And, you know, and the story happens because they're poking and probing and, and that's in at the end. They're like, Oh, that was bad. Um, and you know, that, that is interesting. It is enjoyable while you're watching it, but mm. I don't learn anything about the, the, the main characters as such. The difference is, I mean, Chinatown, like this is the distinct difference between Chinatown and two Jakes is that Chinatown ties that story to jake as a character like he is inextricably tied to it and as he gets deeper and it gets darker and it gets muddied even further you're like man i really wish that you didn't even start on this because it's just it's too hard for you and you're not going to get out in one piece the two jakes is like you know whatever man like you shouldn't have been there in the first place and bad stuff happened and yeah that's it I think the big difference for me, I mean, other than fucking everything, like one of them's good and one of them fucking sucks. Like the big difference for me is I think what's interesting about, about Jake, uh, is removed in this movie. What's interesting about him to me in Chinatown is the fact that like he gets involved in all this nonsense in Chinatown for one reason and one reason only. Like he doesn't like to be made a fool of. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. Like we get stubborn when someone gets over on us. And then he dives into this world that he is not prepared for and everything goes to shit. Um, so I think that's like weirdly relatable where in this, and it's, and I like the fact that it's not, it's not really connected to his life in any way before the movie starts. It's like all new. Mm. And what this movie does is it has that sequel thing where like everything has to be connected and we have to bring up stuff from Chinatown. So you remember that you were watching a good movie once. And it's just like, and it just kind of extends everything where it's like, oh, last time it was about water, this time it's about oil. And I'm like, okay, okay, you know what? Like, just because it's in the same universe doesn't mean we have to tell a similar story. Like, oh, we have a femme fatale and we have these people in control of something that they shouldn't be in control of and there's development and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, but I've seen this done well. Like, I don't, I don't need to watch this be done poorly. 
And that's what this feels like. That's yeah. what I mean by Chinatown cosplays. It puts on the outfit of Chinatown and then just does it in the absolute worst way you can imagine. And that is like, and it was actually kind of depressing for me to watch. Like, especially for someone who loves Chinatown so much and loves Jack Nicholson in that role of Jake so much. But I knew like, and this very rarely happens, but I knew within the first 10 minutes that this was going to be a complete shit show. Like the way that the characters are introduced, I was like, oh no, this is so much worse. Like I didn't think it was going to be great, but I thought like as someone who loves that world, like this is going to be enjoyable. I get to be in that world again. It's going to be a good time. And it was like, nah, this is not. And it's like, it's got a pretty good cast. You know, Harvey Keitel is in here. Another one of my favorites. And it's just, the whole thing is just a slog. It's like the worst thing I can say about a movie like this is that it's fucking boring. Like I was, the yeah. whole thing is there's so There's no tedious. energy to it. None. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. not. And I guess like there's like this very long history um about this movie like trying to get made earlier. And I think like Robert Town wanted to direct it. And then the studio said no. And Jack Nicholson kind of got saddled with this because uh, he really wanted to make the movie. Um Yeah, I guess Robert Town, he had finished the script back in 1984 and he was going to direct but then the producer, Robert Evans, wanted to be in the movie as the other Jake. Uh, and they got in a fight uh, and then eventually formed their own production company and then worked with Paramount and all this like long thing. And it's like, you know, it's bad enough when you're like 10 years later, we're going to make a sequel. But like sometimes you just got to take the hint. Some things are not meant to be. You know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. like, you know what? Let's walk away from this because like you can't. You can't have a noir with a, you know, with this lead character and you're acting like no time has passed almost, but it's 16 years later. People age. It, it comes off as very silly and, and also ideas age, you know? So it's like, it just like, I can't imagine going to see this in 1990, <laughs> like watching this in the theater after loving Chinatown, growing up with it or whatever. And then you're like, what the, what did I just walk into? Like, I seriously, I like to. When I watch a movie, even if it's bad, I'm like, okay, I gotta, there's some, there's gotta be something I can grasp onto that I enjoyed. And there's not? Mm. Like, I don't like anything about this movie. That is really rare for me. Like, I can usually find at least one thing, but I'm like, legitimately struggling here. And thank God there, there's supposed to be another one of these. Thank God they canceled that yeah. idea after this. Thank God, yeah. finally, the public did something right. Like, nobody fucking saw this movie. It failed. And so we didn't get the three Jakes or whatever the fuck. And I'm just like, I'm over it. Like, and like, it's so long. It's two and a half hours long. And I swear to God, it feels like four. And I was just like, yeah. I am so tired. I want this to stop. And, and I think, I think that's my problem with, um, with mystery films and noir films as well is that there are a lot of great ones and the great ones are great for a reason. I mean, Chinatown is Chinatown for a reason. As but, much but as I don't. There's a gap in between the great it. and like the next level. Like it can go rad exactly. wrong really, really easily. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that, and that's the problem is that when it goes wrong, it's like, you know, as you were saying, like, you know, within the first 10, 15 minutes, it's going to be bad because mm -hmm. the, the initial, the setup of it has to be intriguing enough to be like, Wow, that's a pretty interesting setup. I got to find out where we end up, like how we end up at the end, and w how this all unravels. If the if the initial mystery is not interesting enough, then it just becomes tired and boring. Mm -hmm. And I think what I'd written on this, um, I think my review of it, at least on on uh, Letterbox, was something along the lines of the lamest version of there will be blood, because that's Ugh. all it boils down to. It's just yeah. like somebody is like, well, I've got property on this land and, you know, I didn't realize there were oil underneath here and it's like, doesn't matter, somebody's stolen your oil. Oh, darn. Like, you know, all right, well, that's, that that in itself sounds interesting, but it's, it's so bland. Mm -hmm. And I wonder as well a lot about, um, because of course, you know, as, as saying, you know, this was supposed to be a, a trilogy in a lot of ways they'd wanted to have the third one. And of course, you know, in 1989, Batman comes out and that's, um, part of the, the success of it. And it was that Jack Nicholson made so much money from it too. Right. Like that, that that's true. He'd loaned himself to this kind of comic book film, which hadn't really been done before. And, and I wonder if 
he had seen how bad the two Jakes was and was like, yeah, okay, look, I'll do, I'll, um, you know, I need to get some kind of financial backing or anything like that or windfall. Um, so, you know, sign me over a lot of money for playing a really uh, weird dude in a movie. <laughs> I mean, the one good thing, this is so shitty. The one good thing I can say about this movie <laughs> is that Jack Nicholson never directed again. Uh, this was the last thing he ever directed, which I think was a, was a good choice. Uh, cause this movie, directorially speaking, is a fucking mess. Like, and that's the thing when oh. you're making a twisting, turning noir, cause this still is, this does have a lot of twisted turns, just like Chinatown does. It does fit into that mystery slash neo-noir, uh, box. Um, the problem with that is if you're going to have twisted turns, you need someone very steady behind the camera. Like, so you can follow what's going on, so you can understand what's happening, so you can go with this character and discover it with him. And this is just very much a, like, and then this happened kind of movie. Like, it's funny. I thought of this as I was watching the movie, but I'm also looking at the Wikipedia plot synopsis. And there's a whole, there's a whole bit in this movie about a recording, and there's, you know, uh, there's a name on it that he doesn't want to get out. And I love the way it puts it here in the <laughs> in the description is it's like somehow Jake edits the recording because like this is another thing that like that I love about Chinatown is that there are a lot of things that Jake is not good at. Right. He's not he's not a yeah. superhero like he gets fucked up in that movie, like the whole thing with the nose and the you know, like it is not a good time for Jake. But in this, it just feels like, well, I got this down now because I went through that whole water thing. Uh, so he, like, just knows how to do things that, like, he probably shouldn't know how to do. Or if he does, they should at least make some mention of it. And in this, it's just like, well, he did it because we needed it for the script, I guess. Like, and there's a lot yeah. of moments like that where I'm like, so, you know, and I think, honestly, the mark of a bad script and bad direction are... The fact that, like, the only memorable moments in a noir movie here are are either the sex or the violence, right? It's the, like, almost dying in a in an explosion. It's the, like, very weird uh, sex scene where he makes a woman get down on all four. Like, it's very strange. Like, that whole interaction, I was like, what? What am I watching? And then, like, the the scenes end in very strange places. Like, it's just like, oh, yeah. okay, yeah. Uh, fade to black, yeah. I guess. Go to the next thing, because we don't have time for it. It's already two hours and 25 minutes, so let's move on. So, like, a lot of the directorial choices, I, like, I do place at the feet of Nicholson here. And this just goes to show you, because I do think Jack Nicholson is a great actor. I think he's fantastic. Oh, he's one of the greats. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think, honestly, now, like, especially for younger viewers, they might not know, because he's just become, like, celebrity Jack. Right, he hasn't done a lot of work recently, so you may not know. But if you go back and watch, he hasn't done work in ten years. Yeah, yeah, and watch, you know, one floor of the cuckoo's nest. And like, there's some great, great work here. But it just goes to show you, there's a different skill set. Not yeah. every actor oh, yeah. is going to be a great director. And to his credit, because he has enough cash, even after the failure of this, I'm sure if he wanted to direct, he could have gotten a job directing. Because um, he's fucking Jack Nicholson, he could probably fund it himself. But he didn't. He chose not to. He's like, you know, that was probably a mistake. Um, not doing that again. I'm just going to go back to yeah. what I do well here. So actually, like, it sounds like I'm shit-talking about him. But I think that that actually takes, especially for someone as popular and as well-known as Jack Nicholson, it takes a lot of self-awareness to be like, okay, I'm really bad at that. Um, and I need to stick to what I'm good at. A lot of people just keep plugging away, man. They're just like, <laughs> but I'm Jack Nicholson. I could do whatever I want, you know. Oh, okay. I take it back. There is one. There's one scene that I kind of like. It's when uh, Jack Nicholson and Eli Wallach are first together in the police station. I like watching them interact. Uh, but that was kind of it. Uh, so that's like two minutes of two and a half hours, uh, and the rest I just like it was. It was a slog. It was really un. I, I liked. Yeah, I liked uh, recognizing that um, Tom Waits was in this as well. I was like, "Yeah, hey, it's Tom Waits. <laughs> that's that guy. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Usually yeah, not a good I know sign. Him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, wow, look look at that. Um, I have a question for you as well. Like, because obviously this is a sequel, um, I'm curious about, like, 
Do you feel that he is attempting to imi- uh, imitate or mimic um, Polanski's style, style here? I hope not. Um, because if that was... Because his, I, I get that impression. If that I get was the impression in, that he is. See, if that's his intent, he failed like on an even grander scale than I thought. Um, because this is so far from Polanski's style... Whether you're talking about the pace of the movie or the look of the movie or the style of it, uh, this, I mean, like I said, I feel like this is like the first 30 minutes, it's borderline comedy. Like it's very silly to me. Um, yeah. so I don't, I mean, maybe he was, maybe he was trying to ape Polanski and this is just another example of like, you're not very good at this. Um, and honestly, not a lot of people would. Polanski has a very difficult style um, to maintain if you're not Polanski. Um, it's very specific, um, and it puts it puts a a lot of faith in small moments um, that this movie shouldn't, uh, because the small moments small moments are not portrayed particularly well. They're not performed particularly well. They're not even written particularly well. Like I think this is like a mess of a script, honestly. And it's shocking to me that it was written by the same person who wrote Chinatown. Well, apparently, I mean, Nicholson did also rewrite some of the script as well. So, you know, we can cross that one off for any future podcast where it's like um, actor, writer, you know, people, you failed as an actor and now you failed as a writer too. You've, you know, he's, his writing is just, Mm. yeah. If, if he's updating parts of, um, Robert Town's script then um right yeah right. i just i just think that my perspective at least he's because of the the narrative uh consistency that he's trying to maintain between Chinatown and here mm-hmm. uh it, to me it feels like he's also trying to maintain that same uh tonal consistency as well and it just as you're saying those quiet moments he fails to deliver any kind of um impact or, or reason for them mm-hmm. to to have an impact or to have meaning or anything like that um yeah. it, which is sad because you know he is such a great actor and yeah. he is like i mean this will sound terrible but like you know when when celebrities or actors hit a certain age i kind of don't feel sad when they do pass away like kirk douglas for example right 103 it's fine yeah yeah <laughs> It's okay to not be sad about that, people. Like, it's okay. He lived a good long life. Yeah. But with Jack Nicholson, like, he's played such a major role in, in my admiration and love for cinema. And, and I grew up watching, you know, Batman was probably the first thing that I saw him in. But, you know, then I, I caught up with a whole bunch of other stuff, which is a beast week and Mars Attacks and all that kind of stuff. A few good men. I watched that endlessly. And he's been such a major figure in my journey as a as a somebody who loves film that I'm going to be devastated when he does go because of everything I've learned from him and unfortunately you know one of the final lessons that I it appears I will be learning from him is that he fucking sucks as a director and it's like you know that's a that's a hard thing to see when you have somebody who has you know delivered some really powerful performances in his career like he's done some really heartbreaking stuff and mm-hmm. and very human elements and that just doesn't exist here and it's sad yeah it really is because you'd expect so much more and maybe that comes to the the core question i think that you know that that plagues my mind about when actors decide to become directors is that again like we were talking before is what why do they want to finally do this what what do they want to do that they couldn't do as an actor and what do they want to try and tell and say as a director? And ideally you want that, that human element there because, you know, so many actors are connected to that, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This, just, this fails. And I think, you know, in terms of this movie, everything you need to know is encapsulated by two things for me. The introduction of like, I'm Jake, you're Jake, the two Jakes, uh, which is fucking horrible. Um, and then the fact that they feel the need to use voiceover from the first movie to remind you of who Jake is and the, the crazy stuff that happened. And it's just like, and honestly, in terms of the plot of this, like none of that matters. Like all you have to know is that like he's damaged by an old relationship. That's it. None of this other stuff, like this whole cutting of the name. And it's just like, this just feels like 
we're trying to remind you of a good movie because this movie is so bad. Like that's what it ends up feeling like. And that's never, never a good sign. So this is, I mean, I think we can both agree here. This is easily the worst of the movies we've covered uh, this month so far. Like this was like legit painful for me to sit through. Uh, Whereas the rest are like, you know, at least good, if not great. Um, So we did set the bar very high. So hopefully we'll get back to that in our next episode. What are we doing for our next episode? Our next episode, we go to uh, we go to child actors now in Drew Barrymore and Jodie Foster. Um, so we're going to watch Whip It and Little Man Tate, uh, both of their directorial debuts, I believe. So that should be that should be better. Uh, I'm, I'm going out on a limb <laughs> and saying both of those movies are going to be better than Two Jinx. Going to be better than Terrible. So something to look forward to. Yes, very much <laughs> so, so. And and. And at least if people are playing along while they're they're listening to this as well, they're um I think that they're going to enjoy those movies a lot more. Yeah, um, they're a lot of fun. Yeah, much much more <laughs> entertaining than this. <laughs> I I hope to never dive into this the pool of these two films ever again in my life. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, so before we head out, uh, why don't you tell people how they can contact you online? Um, they can contact me, the Curb AU, on Facebook and on Twitter. I am constantly there, twenty four seven. And also head over to the website where you can also read uh, some reviews that Dave's written too, um, thecurb.com.au um, for stuff. Yeah, awesome. And if you'd like to follow us uh, on Twitter, the our uh, our account is at Directed by Pod. And if you would like to. Uh, you know, shuffle some of your coins our way. We would love that. We have a Patreon a Patreon site called patreon.com slash a podcast directed by. And usually we have expert uh, interviews about specific directors. Those are all available at any uh, at any level that you, you donate to us. And this month we will have a special episode for patrons only uh, with our regular co-host Mike talking about one of his favorite movies uh, directed by uh, directed by an actor in Keeping the Faith. Uh, so go ahead and check that out uh, and we'll talk to you uh, on our next episode uh, when we talk about Whip It, Little Man Tate.